As we've been going through the books of uh, of First and Second Samuel, we have seen that God has and is establishing a kingdom, a kingdom that is ruled by His authorized and appointed King over His people, and that kingdom is coming. And we've seen that in order to properly respond to uh, that, that reality and that truth, uh, that as, as God's people, it's going to be necessary for us to consider what is our relationship going to be with this king and with this kingdom. In fact, that's, from the Bible's perspective, that's, just not, that's not a question that's just for the people of God just for those who would consider themselves Christians or following Jesus. In fact, this is actually the question that is put before every human. What king are you going to follow? What kingdom is going to have your allegiance? And where are you finding your citizenship? This morning we're going to be in chapter 2 of the book of 2 Samuel. That's on page 255 if you're following along in one of the black Bibles there in your seats. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11 together this morning. Remember what's happened up to this point is the king that was chosen by the people, Saul, uh, has uh, died due to the judgment of God at the hands of uh, the Philistines, David, the appointed heir, the anointed one of God, has been waiting to ascend to the throne. Now we begin to find out what's going to happen now that Saul has died. Let's see together. Beginning there in verse 1, going down through verse 11. This is the word of God for us this morning. After this, David inquired of Yahweh, Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And Yahweh said to him, Go up. David said, To which shall I go up? And he said, To Hebron. So David went up there, and his two wives also, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David brought up his men who were with him, everyone with his household, and they lived in the towns of Hebron. And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. When they told David, it was the men of Jabesh-Gilead who buried Saul, David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead and said to them, May you be blessed by Yahweh because you showed this loyalty to Saul your Lord and buried him. Now may Yahweh show steadfast love and faithfulness to you. And I will do good to you because you have done this thing. Now, therefore, let your hands be strong and be valiant. For Saul, your Lord, is dead, and the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. But Abner, the son of Nair, commander of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim. And he made him king over Gilead and the Asherites and Jezreel and Ephraim and Benjamin and all Israel. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was forty years old when he began to reign over Israel, and he reigned two years. But the house of Judah followed David. 
in the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. Let's pray. God, you know the struggle it is for us as your people to live rightly, to give our allegiance and our loyalty to Christ, our King. Do a work among us this morning. Turn us yet again to Jesus, our Savior, our King, our Deliverer. For your glory, please, that your light would shine through our good works and our faithfulness for the honor of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. What we, what we see here in this passage is there's, there's two, two kingdoms, two kings, rival kings, rival kingdoms that we encounter. It's a little bit of a surprise. Maybe we were thinking, oh, now that Saul's out of the way, David's going to immediately rush to be lord and ruler over all of God's people. So, so what we want to do is we want to look at each of these two kingdoms. Uh, we, and kids, you can listen for, for S words this morning. I'll give you three, but you can listen for other S words too if you, if you want. The way we want to look at each of these kingdoms is first we want to look at, at their starter. Who's the starter of each of these kingdoms? We want to look at their size, the size of each of these kingdoms. And we want to look at the speed, the speed at which each of these kingdoms grow. So starter, size, and speed. First, looking at this first kingdom, the one that David is the ruler over, the starter of this kingdom. You know, notice what, how it, the chapter begins? And after this, that's talking about Saul's death in the mourning over the loss of Saul. David inquired of Yahweh. Now this should, uh, light bulbs should go off for this, for us. Because what have we seen? Every time David inquires of the Lord, things go well for him. Not only do things go well for him, things go well for the people. Because when David inquires of the Lord and seeks God's revealed will, he lives out and acts according to what God has called him to do, and he does what God has authorized and anointed him to do. And that is what we see here. That's the question. David has been, what has he been doing? He's been waiting. When will the kingdom become his? And this inquiring is seeking that. That is the question before him. Is it now time for me to go up? Where am I to go? David doesn't seek and think about his own agenda. His own priorities. To think about bringing about this kingdom in his own strength. No, he starts by seeking the Lord because if this kingdom is going to succeed, who must be the starter? God must be the starter. In fact, that is what we see here, that this kingdom is the authorized kingdom. 
Because it's been started by God. Notice, he inquires of the Lord. And what does the Lord tell him? Yahweh says, go up. And David says, to which shall I go? And he says, go to Hebron. Hebron is actually, uh, if you look back in Genesis, it's the, the place where Abraham first began to uh, visibly experience some of the, the promises of God as he owned property first in that place. It was a graveyard, but it was property nonetheless. The beginnings of God's fulfillment of his promises. We'll come back to that later. So David went up there. His two wives also, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal and of Carmel. And David brought up his men also who were with him, everyone in his household, and they lived in the towns of Hebron. Notice this, they're leaving their hope and their trust that they were seeking in Philistia. And now they've come back to seek refuge and to abide in God's land with God's people. David has sought this. What is going to happen when they go there? God has told him, go up into Judah. Go to Hebron. And what happens? The men of Judah came and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. The starter of this kingdom is God himself. God is the one who said, David, now is the time. Go to Judah. Go up into Hebron. And what happens here? The people anoint him king over Judah. The way that we should interpret and understand this is God is the one who is behind it. He is the starter of this kingdom. This kingdom and this king are authorized by him. But the characteristics of this authorized kingdom might cause us some confusion at first. Look at, the, look at the size. Look at the size of this kingdom authorized by, by God. The author goes to great lengths to make sure we understand the geographical spread and extent of this kingdom. Notice how many times it's mentioned that he is the king over Judah. And only Judah. Look in verse 4. The men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. Then in verse 7, Now therefore let your hands be strong and valiant, for Saul your Lord is dead, and the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. Then back down and going down to verse 10. Uh, Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was, uh, was 40 years old when he began to reign over the house of Israel, and he reigned two years, but the house of Judah followed David. And then in verse 11, and that time, uh, and the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. What? Why so, why so small? I thought that this was the authorized kingdom. You started it, God. But its beginnings, just the tribe of Judah? Why? You would think in our minds that if it was the authorized kingdom of God, it would be large and expansive and powerful and dominating from step one, from day one. But that's not what we find. 
It seems that the characteristics of this kingdom, the authorized kingdom of God, is that we shouldn't be surprised when we look upon this authorized kingdom and find that its size appears to be rather small. But also, notice the speed at which it develops. The speed of this authorized kingdom. Do you notice how long David was king just over Judah? Look at verse 11. And the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. Another seven years? How how long have we been waiting? How long has it been since Samuel poured anointing oil on this boy? We've had to wait and wait. He's, sometimes he's been in Israel, sometimes he's not. He's been fleeing all around. People are trying to attack and kill him. And yet now, his chief enemy is dead. Now is the time you would think that quickly the kingdom would explode and expand. The speed by which it would grow would be like this. But no, we have to wait another seven and a half years. What is, what is God doing? But as, as the people of God, we need to hear what the author of the book of Second Samuel is seeking to inform us. That as we as his people are looking towards and anticipating and hoping for the coming of this authorized kingdom, we should not be surprised when it appears small and when it develops slowly. In fact, if you've been reading the Old Testament up to this point, it actually wouldn't be a surprise at all. How long has it been since God first announced the promise of this coming king? All the way back in Genesis 3. And yet, we've had to wait on our slow God. But then finally, it seems like God's getting going. He calls a man out of Ur and says, I am going to use you to bless the nations and kings are going to come from you. All right, here we go. We're getting started. But he's in his 90s. And he can't have children, neither him nor his wife. And by the time he dies, he only has the one child of promise. He tried to get others through his own ways. Why, God, why wouldn't you start with somebody a lot younger who is a lot more fruitful? I mean... It's obvious you know how to do that because later when Jacob came around, I mean, he and his wives didn't have problem having kids. There were 12. But even then, by the end of the book of Genesis, this people that's supposed to bring blessing to the nations only numbers in the 70s. And where are they headed? To Egypt. Out of the promised land. What is going on, God? And they have to wait hundreds of years before they come back as they grow into a nation. But the nation that they grow into, they're weak. They're not very 
influential in the world, you would think. You would think if you were going to bring blessing and redemption to the nations, you would start with a kingdom that was powerful. I mean, Egypt's been around for a while. Why not start with them? They already had influence and domination. Wow, work so slowly, but that's the way our God works. The authorized kingdom begins small and advances and develops slowly. In fact, that's the continuing trend. We've seen it with David. We'll see it that God's not on any high-speed mission to get this accomplished. To punish His people, to send them into exile as they wait and wait and wait and wait for the promised one. And then He sends somebody to announce, the king is here. But what do we got to do? We got to wait some more because guess how He came? He's a baby. A baby. We got to wait for this baby to grow up. And then when he grows up, is he powerful? Is he mighty? Does he demolish and immediately get rid of the Romans? No. We have to wait. The expectations of the disciples was that he would immediately and quickly bring glory and honor and power back to Israel, get rid of the Romans, and establish God's kingdom fast. But he does. He rises again. But when he leaves, the group of followers that he has are fearful and scared and they're able to fit in one room. What is God doing? But this is the way that our God operates. In fact, Jesus describes and says the same thing. When he's trying to teach his people and to get our understanding and our minds around how we should view and understand the kingdom that would come, He says, it's like yeast. It's like yeast that you put into lumps of dough. And as it waits and you wait on it, it grows and it expands and it fills up the loaves. Have you ever made bread? Made some bread over the past couple of years. You get yeast. It's these little grains. It's like small little pieces of tannish dirt. You're like, what in the world is this stuff going to do? You put it in water, it begins to bubble and foam, and then you mix it into your dough. But if you don't wait, your bread won't rise. But if you take that small little bit and work it through all of your dough, and you wait, and you let it rise, and then you split it, and you let it rise some more and more, then in the end, the product is good, airy, tasty bread. Do we trust our God to wait on His timing? Are we deceived to think that when we look out in the world and look at the the state of His people and at His kingdom, it could be easy to think this is going nowhere. Sure, there's been times of great growth among the people of God and times where the church has had more or less influence in the world. But still, the kingdom in its fullness has not come. The nations of this world have not bowed the knee to our God and to His Christ. Laws are still made that are in opposition to our God and the worship of Him. People still suffer 
under oppression and sickness and death. And the last time I checked, even my own heart, and yours too, I imagine, struggles in our battle against sin. What is God up to? Do not be discouraged. Remember and hear and see what we are are hearing from Jesus our King and from the prophets of the Old Testament that the authorized kingdom will come, but it will be small and it will grow slowly. But in the end, like Jesus says, it'll be a tree that provides nurture and rest and refreshment for all the birds of the land. But let's look at this other kingdom. One, two, look the same way. It's starter, it's size, it's speed. Do you notice down in verse 9, this other kingdom that gets started up? Who's its starter? It's not God. But Abner, the son of Nair, commander of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim, and he made him king. Who is the starter of this unauthorized kingdom? It's Abner. It is a man. It's the work, the intention, the driving force behind it is humanity and man does not have its authorization in God. It does not have its beginnings in God. This is too a surprise. We thought all of Saul's sons had died, but no. Ishbosheth somehow made it. And Abner here takes this as an opportunity to not let go of the power and influence that he had and to seek to pursue and establish a kingdom that is in opposition to God's authorized kingdom. Notice its size. In comparison to David's kingdom, the authorized one. Look at verse 9. He made him king over Gilead. Oh, there's some more. And the Asherites. Oh, and the Jezreel. And Ephraim. And Benjamin. And all Israel. The authorized kingdom has one tribe for seven and a half years. And through that same seven and a half years, Abner and Ishbosheth rise to become king over all of the rest of Israel. Here we see both the size and the speed there for us. Because they ruled and reigned for the same amount of time. That two and a half years that it tells us about is the two and a half years or the two years that Ishbosheth reigned over all of Israel. The other five, they were slowly growing, making progress. Compared to David, they're fastly growing. And so by the end of the same amount of time, you would think and be tempted to say, well, look what God accomplished in seven and a half years. One tribe and no more. And look what man accomplished. This quickly growing, expansive kingdom. Which one am I going to hope and rest and trust in? We as God's people need to be very cautious because sometimes we can look at what the world has to offer 
the, the communication that this will lead more quickly to your joy, to your satisfaction, to your fulfillment and your flourishing. This will be better for your family if you disregard what God has said and follow His kingdom and instead pursue the ways of the world. The means by which the world tells us happiness and freedom can be found. Because look how much more quickly it seems that people who are disobeying God seem to be flourishing at times. Their lives seem to be better. If I wasn't constrained by all of these rules and laws that God has given me, and if I could just do whatever I want, just like everybody else does, I could have that house, or I could have that girlfriend. I could have that job. I could have a lot more money than them. If I didn't have to tithe, oh my goodness, what we could afford and do. The ways of the world. Do you really want to restrain your body like that? Give in. Don't you know this is just naturally what you're supposed to want and do? Don't deny yourself. Go after it. What am I missing out on? Maybe it would be better if I were to join with and give my loyalty and follow after this other kingdom. But the scriptures say, beware, beware, because the unauthorized kingdom can have the deception that it is strong, that it is deep, that it is long lasting and powerful because it flourishes up and seems to go quickly. And is wide and expansive. And presently it seems to fill the earth. But we need to remember and know that this kingdom is not authorized by our God. And the things of man will ultimately fail. They will disappoint. What does David have to remind the people of Jabesh Gilead of? Saul is dead. And the same thing will happen for every kingdom set up by man. What we see here is we have these two kingdoms. And really, what, what it leaves us with and what the structure of this passage tells us is that we have a choice. We have an option before us, an invitation. Which kingdom... Are you going to follow? Which one are you going to give your allegiance to? That's actually the way the structure is set up. You have the kingdom, uh, authorized kingdom established by God. You have the unauthorized kingdom established by man. And in the middle, you have this interaction that David has with the men of Jabesh Gilead. Do you remember these guys? When Saul, uh, early on uh, in, uh, in 1 Samuel, they were under uh, attack. They called out, Saul came and delivered them. Then later, when they heard that Saul had been killed, that they had cut his head off and nailed his body and his son's bodies to the wall at Bethshan, they ventured into enemy territory, secured their bodies, brought them back to Jabesh Gilead, and gave them burial. Now, David recognizes, he just gets word of their loyalty, of their costly commitment to the anointed one of God. And he's inviting them and calling them. Notice 
what he says in verse 7. Saul, your Lord, is dead. The house of Judah has anointed me king over them. But he says to them, may your hands be strong and be valiant. I'm calling you, just as you were loyal to the anointed one before me, I'm asking you to give the same type of loyalty and allegiance to me. But notice what he tells them. In order to do that, they are going to have to be strong. They are going to have to be valiant. Why? Well, because they're seeing what everybody else is seeing. This other kingdom, more expansive, grows more quickly. But for the people of Jabesh Gilead, it's right in their face. Jabesh Gilead is uh, from where David is in Hebron. It's about 70 miles northeast. Manahim, where Ishbosheth's kingdom is, is just 20 miles southeast of the, uh, p- the place of Jabesh Gilead. So, so it's the thing about it. It's about the distance of us from here to the Great Dismal Swamp, the visitor center. It's about 20 miles compared to going all the way up to Williamsburg. In the days when there were no cars, no planes, you had to walk or ride a horse or a chariot or whatever, and you were thinking, who will defend me? Who will protect me? Is it going to be somebody way up in Williamsburg? Or am I better off putting my hope and my confidence and my trust in someone that's as close as the Dismal Swamp? Dismal Swamp all day long. Because they can get here. I might even be able to see them. You see what David's saying? I'm inviting you to give your loyalty and your allegiance to me. But it is going to necessitate faith on your part. You are going to have to have the eyes of faith to give your costly allegiance and loyalty to me. What's that faith rooted in? Notice where David points them. He sent messengers to him and he says, May you be blessed by Yahweh because you showed this loyalty to Saul your Lord and buried him. Now may Yahweh show steadfast love and faithfulness to you. He's pointing them to the covenant promises and to the God who keeps His promises. Even if they delay in their fulfillment, they will surely come. And what has God promised? And what has God said? I will bring redemption to the world. I will bring blessing to the nations. And it's going to come through my anointed one. And that anointed one is David. Are you going to trust in the promises of your God? Despite what you see, are you going to trust and rely on Him? And are you going to put your faith and trust in the promises of your anointed king? What does David say? May God show you steadfast love and faithfulness, and I will do good to you. Are you going to believe me, men of Jabesh Gilead? Are you going to believe the promises of your God? And are you going to believe the promises of God's anointed one that he will do good to you when he's far away and he's distant 
And it doesn't look like you can see him and you can't lay eyes on him. And the, the, the rival kingdom is right at your door and everybody around you is worshiping and clinging to and has given their allegiance and their loyalty to the other king. Are you going to be able to sustain? It's going to take valiant heart. It's going to take courage and strength. It's going to take costly allegiance. And that only comes through faith in God's promises and the word of his anointed one. Sounds very similar to us, right? Where does our citizenship lie? Where is our king ruling and reigning now? It's not Hebron, it's heaven. Can you see Jesus presently? Not physically. He's ruling, but it's distance away. And he is saying to us, I want you to follow and trust in me. I know the kingdoms of this world look mighty. They look powerful. They look strong. Everybody around you is resting and trusting and hoping in the kingdom of man. But I need you to have eyes of faith. I need you to look to the promises of God and I need you to remember my promises that all authority and power has been given to me. My promises that say, I will be with you. Evidence of the faithfulness of our God that even if you die, I've defeated death. I have taken care of it. We all have this choice before us every day. Are we going to submit to and give our faith and our loyalty and our costly allegiance to God's authorized king and his authorized kingdom? Or are we going to give ourselves over to the kingdoms of this world? Hear the invitation of God's anointed one, of the one who has given his life to save and redeem you, who rules now, not just over Judah, not just over Israel, but over all things. It might not look like it, but remember, the kingdom of God may appear small and it may grow slowly. But Jesus rules over everything. There is nothing in all of creation, even that the web telescope can see, that Jesus already did not know and has already said and claimed, that is mine. And so are you. Look and hope and rest in God's authorized King who has given Himself to redeem and save you. And He has promised to do good to you and redeem you to the end. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your grace, for Your mercy, for the good news of the Gospel, for the promises that You have given us, for Your steadfast love, for Your faithfulness, Jesus, we thank You for the good that You have done for us, redeeming and saving us from our sin. Turn our hearts to You. May the kingdoms of this world look and be exposed to us as what they are. Weak, finite, and like chaff blowing in the wind. May we hope and rest in You, our Rock, our Savior, and our Redeemer. Amen.